Hello, residents. My name is Mike Estefan, and I thank you for joining me on this month's deep dive episode on the EM Clerkship Podcast. We're going to be talking about organophosphate poisoning today. But before we begin, just a quick word from our sponsors over at Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Pearson Rabbits is my personal disability insurance broker and soon-to-be life insurance broker. Pearson Rabbits was founded by Stephanie Pearson, an OBGYN who suffered a career-ending injury while on the job. She had disability insurance herself through her employer, but ultimately had to spend years in court fighting her case. This is how she ended up in the insurance industry. She wanted to make sure that no physician or other healthcare professional goes through what she had to. Pearson Rabbits will find you a real own occupation disability insurance policy, one that you won't spend years in court fighting for your benefits if you are injured. Importantly, the agents at Pearson Rabbits do not get any kickbacks or any commission to sell you one company's policy over the other. This means that they are truly looking out for your best interests. Don't wait until it's too late. Check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule a consultation appointment today. Don't forget to mention EM Clerkship when you do. And now, back to the episode. Organophosphate poisoning, not something you see every day. But this stuff is fair game and high yield for exams, so it is important to learn. First, we'll go through a general overview and quickly review the relevant physiology and pathophysiology. After that, we'll discuss the clinical presentation of patients who have been poisoned by organophosphate, and then finally we'll end the episode by discussing the treatment. Organophosphates most commonly found in pesticides, but unfortunately this class of chemicals have also been weaponized, commonly referred to as nerve agents. This includes stuff like sarin gas, VX gas, and the Russian agent Novichok. There are about 8,000 cases of organophosphate poisoning a year in the U.S. Most cases are due to transdermal absorption of pesticides, but one can also be exposed by inhalation or by ingestion. Okay, time for some physiology and pathophysiology. Now, this is going to be the bulk of the episode. There are a lot more details here than what I share, but this is simply just an overview. So, med students who know much more about this than I remember, please save your comments. We all know that you could recite all of this in your sleep to me backwards. This is simply for those of us who have been out of the classroom for a period of time, or for those of us who haven't had the luxury of medical school training. So you've got nerves that come from your spinal cord, and these nerves essentially make direct contact onto muscle cells or other neurons. Now, I use the word essentially intentionally here because there is a tiny gap between the presynaptic nerve and the postsynaptic cell membrane, and this space is called the synaptic cleft. The part of the postsynaptic cell membrane that directly borders the synaptic cleft is covered in acetylcholine receptors. Now, there are two different types of acetylcholine receptors. Broadly, these are nicotinic receptors and muscarinic receptors. Muscarinic receptors are typically found on smooth muscle and in the heart, whereas nicotinic receptors are typically found on skeletal muscle as well as the adrenal gland. 
Now, that is where these receptors are found peripherally, in the peripheral nervous system. Both of these receptors can be found in various areas of the central nervous system as well. Now, remember how I said there is a presynaptic cell, a postsynaptic cell, and a synaptic cleft. From here on out, for simplicity's sake, I'm going to refer to the postsynaptic cell as a muscle cell, even though it could be a neuron. So, when that presynaptic nerve is depolarized, the nerve releases vesicles containing the neurotransmitter acetylcholine into that space, into that synaptic cleft. Acetylcholine then transiently binds to these receptors, these acetylcholine receptors, on the muscle cell membrane, which depolarizes it and initiates the process of muscle contraction. The acetylcholine molecule then will unbind from the acetylcholine receptor, but it has the ability to rebind and reactivate the muscle cell. However, this doesn't happen that often because in the synaptic cleft, there is an enzyme called acetylcholine esterase that breaks down the acetylcholine to prevent it from continuously activating the postsynaptic cell and from continuously causing muscle contractions. Now, before we talk specifically about organophosphates, I want to run through this physiology with a medication that we're all familiar with, succinylcholine. So succinylcholine, or SUX for short, is a depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent that we use all the time for rapid sequence intubation. Basically, it acts like the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, but it binds to those acetylcholine receptors for a much longer period of time, and it isn't broken down in the synaptic cleft as rapidly, so it can rebind and rebind and rebind and reactivate, reactivate, reactivate. Now, since we give this medication through an IV, it travels through the bloodstream and causes widespread disordered activation of skeletal muscle throughout the body. And what we see there physically is fasciculations. We see disordered little muscle spasms. It doesn't cause overt muscle contractions because it is dispersed uniformly throughout the body, unlike activation of a nerve, which releases acetylcholine in a very specific and very localized area to cause very nuanced muscle contraction. Now, because of the rapid and continuous binding of succinylcholine, the motor end plate, that postsynaptic cell membrane of the muscle cell, it can't repolarize, and essentially it becomes refractory to depolarization, resulting in skeletal muscle paralysis after we see those, that period of fasciculations. And this allows us to intubate with ease because we're not fighting against any muscle resistance. Now, organophosphates kind of work similarly, but via a different mechanism. So, organophosphates bind to and inactivate the enzyme acetylcholinesterase, that enzyme in the synaptic cleft. Without acetylcholinesterase in the synaptic cleft, acetylcholine is not broken down, and it is allowed to continuously activate that postsynaptic acetylcholine receptor, eventually resulting in paralysis of skeletal muscle and overactivation of smooth muscle. Since this will affect both the muscarinic and nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in both the peripheral and central nervous system, we see a very large constellation of symptoms, which will be discussed shortly. 
So let's go back to the binding of the organophosphate molecule to the acetylcholinesterase enzyme. Initially, this binding is a reversible process. However, over time, the binding of the organophosphate molecule to the enzyme becomes a permanent covalent bond. When this happens, this process is called aging. And this concept of aging is really important. The aging time is defined by the time it takes for the binding of the organophosphate to the enzyme to become irreversible. Every particular organophosphate compound has a different aging time, which can range from just minutes to days, depending on the particular compound. And this really matters, because the main antidote will only work if administered before aging has occurred. We'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about treatments, but before that, let's talk about the clinical presentation. Patients will present with a constellation of symptoms known as cholinergic crisis. There's a mnemonic that many of us have used while in medical school to remember cholinergic crisis. Who remembers the dumbbells mnemonic? So, overactivation of the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors causes the symptoms of dumbbells. That is, D for defecation, U for urination, M for meiosis, B for the killer Bs, and there are three of them, bradycardia, bronchospasm, and bronchorrhea, E for emesis, L for lacrimation, S for salivation, and another S for sweating. The killer bees are named as such because they are the symptoms most likely to kill the patient. Again, bradycardia, bronchospasm, and bronchorrhea. Again, the dumbbells symptoms are from overactivation of the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors found in the peripheral nervous system. Overactivation of the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors found in the peripheral nervous system cause skeletal muscle weakness and eventually paralysis in a similar manner to the depolarizing neuromuscular agent succinylcholine. And lastly, there are both muscarinic and nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in the central nervous system, and overactivation of these receptors can lead to CNS-mediated respiratory depression, altered mental status, and seizures. All right, let's talk treatment. Obviously, airway management is very important, but after that airway is secure, there are three medications used in the treatment of organophosphate poisoning. These include atropine, something called pralidoxime, and diazepam. Atropine works by reversibly inhibiting the action of the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors, and this essentially works to reverse those dumbbell symptoms that we talked about. How much atropine, you might ask? This is very important and very testable. You keep giving atropine, doubling each subsequent dose, until bronchorrhea and symptomatic bradycardia resolve. I'm going to say this one more time, louder for those in the back. You keep giving atropine, doubling each dose, until the bronchorrhea and symptomatic bradycardia resolve. There are case reports of patients needing 1,000 milligrams of atropine in a 24-hour period. So yes, you will reach very high doses. One seasoned attending that I worked with when I was in residency shared their organophosphate poisoning case with me. 
and their hospital actually ran out of atropine and they had to source more atropine from five or six surrounding hospitals. So atropine, atropine, atropine until the bronchorrhea and symptomatic bradycardia stop. The next treatment is pralidoxime. Pralidoxime works by binding to the organophosphate enzyme complex and essentially regenerating the functional enzyme. Now, this is very important, but pralidoxime will only work if the process of aging has not yet taken place. Therefore, it is of the utmost importance to administer this medication as soon as possible. It will have no effect if aging has already happened. And like I said earlier, aging time differs for every particular organophosphate compound with a time range of minutes to days. So give that pralidoxime ASAP. Pralidoxime does not cross the blood-brain barrier easily, so most of its effects will be on the peripheral receptors, meaning it will help treat the dumbbell symptoms and the skeletal muscle paralysis, but will not usually help treat the CNS symptoms. And finally, this one makes a lot of sense, diazepam. This is mainly used to treat the seizures, but supposedly will also help treat muscle fasciculations and muscle spasms. And if you've worked in emergency medicine, you know we've given diazepam in the past for severe refractory low back pain with spasms. So kind of makes sense. Let's review all these points very quickly. Organophosphates and other similar compounds cause a cholinergic crisis by inhibiting acetylcholinesterase, which prevents the breakdown of acetylcholine in the synaptic cleft, which leads to the overactivation of the postsynaptic acetylcholine receptors, both the muscarinic and nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, both in the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. Overactivation of the muscarinic acetylcholine receptors in the peripheral nervous system leads to the symptoms of dumbbells. And again, that is D for defecation, U for urination, M for meiosis, B for the killer bees, E for emesis, L for lacrimation, S for salivation, and S for sweating. And again, one more time, the killer bees include bradycardia, bronchorrhea, and bronchospasm. Overactivation of the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors in the peripheral nervous system leads to muscle fasciculations, muscle weakness, and ultimately muscle paralysis. And finally, overactivation of both subtypes of acetylcholine receptors found in the central nervous system lead to CNS-mediated respiratory depression, altered mental status, and seizures. Treatment involves a combination of atropine, pralidoxime, and diazepam. Atropine will help treat the dumbbell symptoms, and importantly, you keep doubling the dose of atropine until the bronchorrhea and the symptomatic bradycardia resolve. Pralidoxime will help by reversing the poisoning in the peripheral nervous system, but does not have much effect centrally, and pralidoxime must be administered before aging has taken place, or else it will have minimal to no effect. Diazepam is simply used to treat muscle spasms and seizures. And that is all I have for you today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, shoot me an email, mike at emclerkship.com. 
And of course, if you have any ideas for cases that we can use to torture Maddie with, I'm all ears. Send those case ideas my way as well. And if we use it, I will give you a shout out on the podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Pearson Ravitz. And until next month, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.